Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush, and in this special episode of the New Statesman podcast, I hosted a mayoral mashup with Andy Burnham and Sadiq Khan, recorded live at the New Statesman's Fringe event at the Labour Party conference in Liverpool. I wanted you to have a listen to their conversation because there is a bit of a north-south divide going on between the two. Here it is. Welcome to this very special event. It's a mayoral mashup. Um, we are in conversation with Andy Burnham and Sadiq Khan. At the New Statesman, we have generously provided a safe space to bridge the north-south divide at last. <laughs> now, I'm Anoush Shikelian. I'm Britain editor of the New Statesman. And before we start, I'll just explain how it will work. Um, we will have some questions at the end, probably a little bit shorter than we were planning, but probably about 15 minutes at the end so that you can make sure you ask the mayors what you'd like. Uh, and now I'd like to introduce my two interviewees, London Mayor Sadiq Khan and Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham. Now, well deserved. <laughs> Both have been elected and re-elected as mayors of their respective cities, and when they were Labour MPs, they served as government ministers and in the shadow cabinet too. They've both been up against a Conservative government when fighting for their cities, and there have been some disagreements with the Labour leadership along the way too. Now, thanks so much for joining us, both of you. Um, first of all, I wondered if you could tell me, what is the rivalry between you two? I mentioned the North-South divide. Fill me in a bit. <laughs> Well, there was that time we played at Anfield last year. Do you remember? Uh, Do you know it's he went first? <laughs> and you and Steve were on the, uh, the Liverpool team, weren't you? And I was on the... And what happened? I'm trying to remember now. Do you remember that goal into the cop? You've you got to remember, when you're, when you're on... <laughs> well, I, beat, I beat them anyway, let's put it that way. OK, I feel like there's more to this story that you're not giving away here. Can I just say what, what a pleasure it is to be in the greatest city in the northwest? <laughs> With, with the mayor of the third greatest city in the northwest. <laughs> but it, look, it's, it's, uh, Andy's talking about uh, a brilliant goal he scored at, at Anfield. Uh, for those that don't know, Andy's a long-suffering uh, Everton fan. Oh, cheers! Thank who, you. Who are, who are now who, who are now praying that Tory boy from London, Frank Lampard, uh, saves them. <laughs> Well, it's the first time we've had some London levelling up, that's for sure. He's, and he's, he's doing it, he's doing it, Frank. But, but on a serious note, Andy scored a wonderful goal at the cop end of uh, Anfield. Um, but I did hack him down as well. Uh, but. Okay, all right. So you're even. 
<laughs> we are, we are, we are. <laughs> but in seriousness, I think people do think levelling up is a zero-sum game, not least Rishi Sunak, who thought it was a choice between poor urban areas and Tunbridge Wells. Um, is there any truth to that? You know, Andy, you must look at the infrastructure in London sometimes and think, no, the money should come to me first. Well, that's, that's the way people like to... Because everyone always wants to create division, don't they? But we've always said, no, you know, I've... Believe it or not, I love London. I lived there for a long time. Um, we're proud of it in the Northwest, but the argument we've always said was we want some of what London has, you know, because that, that, that fairness will be good for the country. And that's always been our argument. We just want some of the same. So transport's the obvious example. You know, London, when it got its first mayor and then through now to Sadiq, has created a world-class transport system, hasn't it? But it shouldn't be the case that it's, um, I don't know, you know, a third of the price to catch a bus or half the price than it is to catch a bus up here. So we're on that journey now. We're saying London-style public transport. And it's not about pulling London down. It's about us coming up to their level. And that's the way, you know, it, it should be. But the way the government worked always was to try and sew that bit of needle. And, that, and that's where, you know, that's how they do it, isn't it? They, they start culture wars. They pit one place against another. So they never did levelling up as a sort of inclusive thing. They were doing it pitting one place against another and that was very much the style of the last government. Mm, okay and Sadiq has, have you been affected like by that? Has the levelling up agenda sort of put London on the back foot? Conservative ministers less yeah, likely right. to want no. to put funding towards I, London? I mean what, what levelling up really means is pork barrel politics uh, and as a Muslim as you know <laughs> I don't do pork. <laughs> Uh, but, but I think what they've tried to do, Andy's spot on, what it's about is it's not just the culture wars, but it's pitting communities, uh, mates, uh, regions against one another. And what it was about was, let's be frank, appealing to the red wall seats to give the impression uh, that they would get support with a Tory uh, government. The problem is, actually, we are the most centralised democracy in the Western world. When you look at Germany or, or Japan or uh, the Americas, it's, uh, I look at them with envy in relation to the powers and uh, resources that their mayors have versus uh, Andy, me and the others. And I've always said uh, it's not a zero-sum game. It's really, it is possible to devolve powers to Manchester, Liverpool, Sheffield, Bristol, Scotland, Wales, uh, great powers to London, and all of us uh, do well. But there has been, uh, and I'm the first to say this, uh, an anti-London animus from the government. They think it's not possible to talk up London because of losing votes in the red wall seats. And I'm afraid some of our tribe have fallen into their trap uh, and allowed ourselves to be perceived fairly or unfairly as pitting one part of uh, the country against another. And let me tell you why it's so important not to do that. Uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, invested in our city to improve infrastructure. That should not be seen as at the expense of other parts of the uh, country. Uh, so, for example, the, the wonderful uh, new Elizabeth Line that opened up uh, uh, this year. Uh, I'm not saying it should be at the expense of other parts of the country getting the Elizabeth Line, but it's about explaining that if our capital city gets this investment, it means we can contribute even more to the treasury. But also, these trains aren't built in London. We've got the expertise. They're built in Derby. The signage all across the Elizabeth Line, not built in London, it's in the Isle of Wight. Our buses, more electric buses than any city in the Western world, aren't built in London. They're built in uh, Ballymena in uh, Northern uh, Ireland. Uh, shout out to the Northern Irish person uh, there. Uh, our taxis in uh, West Midlands. The new trains on the uh, Piccadilly Line in uh, Gaul. So when we fall into the trap 
of saying London shouldn't be getting something, you're A, you know, doing down the, our capital uh, city, but B, you're inadvertently uh, playing into the Tory trap, and C, leading to the possibility of there being less jobs in Ghoul, less jobs in Ballymena, less jobs in Derby, and uh, so forth. And what's really important is uh, we invest uh, in Bristol and in Greater Manchester and in Merseyside and in Scotland uh, and other parts of the country and Wales. Uh, at the same time as devolving more powers and resources to our capital city. And what was wonderful about Rachel, by the way, wasn't Rachel Reeves' speech today fantastic? It was an amazing, amazing speech. I mean, you, you compare and contrast Quasi Quartan on Friday and Rachel Reeves today, only one of them looked like, so it looks like a chancellor. But Rachel was talking about devolving more powers and resources to uh, you know, cities and regions across our country, including you know, Manchester, London, Merseyside and so forth. Okay. And what about under this new government? Um, what does that mean for rebalancing the economy? Ben Houchen, the Tees Valley mayor, has says his combined authority is going to submit a rapid expression of interest in these uh, sort of low regulation new investment zones. Andy, will you do the same for Manchester? Well, we did um, put an expression of interest in. We have six growth locations already identified within our planning framework. So we're quite a way down the line here, this is not a blank sheet of paper for us, so we have the locations and we have submitted them. But our leaders, <clears throat> wisely, uh, in consultation with my good self, decided that we were nervous about the policy, because if it just takes jobs from one part of the UK and undermines it and takes them somewhere else, that's another recipe for the kind of division pitting one place against another that I was talking about before, and we wouldn't support it on that basis. It's got to be about bringing new investment into the country or expanding existing uh, uh, facilities. Then there's also the potential undermining of workers' rights and environmental uh, standards. So that's where, where we are with it. I just want to just pick up on something Sadiq was saying because I think this is something where we've all got to just think carefully about, you know, where this debate has been around, around levelling up. And, you know, I know some people accuse me of, of saying that I've made anti-London. I haven't. You know, if people look back at my statements, it's always about saying we need to have the same here as London. But I do think, just to kind of put our perspective on it, the north-south divide is real. And speaking to the north-south divide and the need for change is something that needs to be done. In the, you know, and I, you know, I would appeal to London to help us in that. You know, people's lives here are kind of, in some places, harder. And I'm not saying there's not a lot of hardship in London, because there is. There's a huge amount of hardship in London. But what you've got here, and the COVID map showed this, you've got huge numbers of people in very low wage, insecure employment. And you know, that is the reality of our country. And I think we've got to kind of learn from this thing that the government did with levelling up and the falseness of it and the divisiveness of it, but actually under work out between us, where do we get this right then with about you know, being uh, supportive of our capital city, but also then in return people saying, yeah, there is a north-south divide, and they do need more, and, and that's where we've got to really work, I think, to get this, this kind of balance right, because otherwise they will divide and rule as they, always, as they always seek to do. And I think we've not quite got it right yet, and we need to keep working at it and get it right, and then obviously work with Keir and the, and the Shadow Cabinet then to take a, a kind of a true levelling up agenda into, into government. And I think that's the opportunity we've now got as a Labour movement. Okay. And so what would your ideal Labour version of levelling up look like then, Sadiq? So we, we've done some work on this uh, in relation to what further powers and resources uh, we want. To give you an idea of, of, of a, comparis a comparison, for people who wrongly think 
uh, you know, the, the streets of London are paved with gold. As Andy said, it's not. We've got, we're the most in, unequal region in the country. Uh, but we actually get to spend in London uh, only 7% of taxes raised in uh, London. New York, uh, a great mayor there, Eric Adams, gets to spend 50%. Uh, uh, Tokyo gets to spend 70%. So the sort of additional powers and resources we want is we want to have more of the property taxes raised in London. We want to have more of the business uh, taxes raised, uh, spent in, uh, we decide how it's spent. Uh, more of the sales tax uh, that's raised in London, we decide how it's uh, spent. Uh, uh, a guy called Boris Johnson, when he was mayor of London, uh, set up the London Finance Commission. And he got a number of experts together to work out uh, devolution 2.0. Uh, we then, when I became mayor, you know, built on that to see what, what more, more work is uh, required. So we've set out the blueprint for what more powers and resources we want uh, in our capital uh, city. And the short point is, uh, you know, people wrongly use the word London when they're unhappy. What they mean is Whitehall. And what they inadvertently do is uh, give Londoners the impression they're doing down Londoners when they, what they really mean is criticizing Whitehall. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's really important not to allow, and Andy and I never do this, nor does Steve or Tracy or Dan and the others, allow the Tories to divide us. But in relation to uh, the, 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 the new government, one of the things that Andy and I uh, uh, have tried to do is work with them constructively, mm -hmm. because the reality is uh, we need their support to help our economies. And I, and I worry, well, I mentioned pork barrel politics, not, not in jest, but in seriousness, that you know, Ben Houchen and uh, Andy Street, because they're from the same tribe mm. as the government, there's an insider dealing in relation to investment zones or, or whatever. And what Tracy Brabin's tried to do as the chair of the Metro mayors across the country is to have a way in to persuade the government, uh, it's in your interest uh, to work with the mayors. Can I just pick up the theme? I absolutely agree with Sadiq, it is Whitehall. Uh, but I think this is part of the issue that needs to be sort of put on the table as part of levelling up. because. The voice of different parts of this country don't carry equally into that Whitehall system. And that's a big part of the problem. So in the pandemic, when I said over tier three that we wouldn't accept bar staff, betting shop staff getting 67% of their wages, they didn't like us answering back, did they? They didn't think we should answer back and they tried to just sort of push, that's what they tried to do. Or let me give you an even bigger example. This city that you are in, to never forget this, this city done so wrong, cried injustice for 20 years and no one in that system, nobody gave them a second's thought. No one even said, oh, maybe they've, they've got a point. N nobody did it. And I think it's a really important point, this. this. This system that we've got down there doesn't work for everyone, everywhere equally. Some voices and some places have more sway there than others. And this is the thing that we've got to change. I think the parties made a historic decision today to talk about electoral reform and move towards proportional representation. Because in my view, if you had a Commons elected on that basis, you would get a different way of the regions working, working to empower the voice of the regions. And I personally would like to see the removal of the whip system because it's first past the post in the whip system that concentrates power in a very small number of hands in that Whitehall system. And that creates the conditions for this huge regional inequality that we've got. So levelling up, let's just be honest, it is about 
investment zones and all of that stuff in transport infrastructure, but it's also, in my view, about rewiring Britain. Electoral reform, proportional representation for the Commons, and a Senate of the nations and the regions to replace the unelected lords who largely live within the M25, and then maximum devolution out of that system to empower the English regions and the nations. That is what you need, actually. If you want to level up Britain, you need to rewire Britain. Thanks. And just to... Just a quick one for you, Sadiq, on voting reform, because you've both been elected twice under the supplementary vote system. That is going to change to first-past-the-post, and you've, you've said that you'd be against that change. How about, in general, reform of the voting system, as Andy's just been sp speaking about there? Well, I've got to apologise to other mayors across the country, because the government are changing the way we elect mayors, because they think uh, that's how they beat me. Are we going to let them London? And so it's really important to recognise that they are, they're learning from their friends in the Republican Party, gerrymandering, photo ID. Photo ID at the next uh, elections is all about suppressing our, our voters. The, the, the voting bill that's just gone through uh, Parliament is all about suppressing, uh, in their mind, the sort of people they think are going to vote uh, Labour. Boundary changes, uh, changing the way we vote for uh, our mayors. I'm somebody for a long time. Uh, in fact, you know, I was in a minority who, who uh, campaigned for uh, the vote in relation to PR when there was a referendum back in 2011 and uh, 12. But it, it depends what sort of PR we're talking about, because there's PR and there's PR. And so, of course, you know, I'm on record as being in favour of electoral uh, reform. My view, though, is, yes, it's really important to uh, rewire the way our country uh, works. But I've learned over the last six years in London following eight years of a Tory mayor, you first got to win the election. Only by winning elections can we transform people's lives. Only by winning elections can we even talk about the constitutional reform uh, that Andy's talking about that I fully support uh, means. That's why the focus has got to be laser-like on exposing the Tories for what they are doing. Don't allow Liz Truss to give the impression she's the change candidate. She's continuity. Johnson, who was continuity May, who's continuity Cameron, uh, I, I, so we've got to make sure we expose the Tories and set out a positive vision uh, for our party. And that starts at this conference with Rachel showing she's a Chancellor in waiting and tomorrow Keir Starmer showing that he's a Prime Minister in waiting as well. And the focus has got to be in addressing the cost of living crisis. The focus has got to be in having the policies uh, that means we can support those families who desperately need a, a Labour government. And of course making sure uh, that we give more powers and resources to people across the country who hitherto have felt neglected. Okay. Thanks. And um, you mentioned uh, sort of working under a Tory government, basically, and also the importance of working with a Conservative government behind the scenes. And, you know, you've both had standoffs with the government. You mentioned the COVID tier three rules being imposed on, on Manchester, and you've had dif you had difficulty with the transport sec former Transport Secretary Grant Shapps over the TfL deal. How, how, how do you... <laughs> Where is he now? How do, you, um, how do you move from standoff to sort of behind the scenes negotiations? And do you swap tips on how you actually do that? Well, I've now had... Four Prime Ministers, uh, five Home Secretaries, and six Chancellors. Um, and uh, they've all been rubbish. Because <laughs> they've all been Tory. Uh, and that's why I, I, make, I make this point seriously. I, mean, I think Ken Livingstone had two Prime Ministers, uh, Tony and uh, Gordon. Boris Johnson had two Prime Ministers, Gordon and uh, David uh, Cameron. 
Uh, uh, that's why it's so important for us to win in 2016. Uh, up until 2016, the last time Labour had won a big election was 2005. And I think we've got out of the habit of winning big elections. And one of the reasons why it's brilliant to have Andy doing his uh, job is he's managed to vocalise the feelings of people in, not just at the time it was, you know, uh, not just Manchester, but I think, you know, people in you know, the, the greater Manchester area, but also with Steve Rotherham, those in the northwest uh, region, that with a, no disrespect to our brilliant MPs, by the way, that voice wasn't being heard uh, by parliamentarians and civil servants in, in Westminster and uh, uh, Whitehall. But you've got to be pragmatic as a mayor, knowing that for the foreseeable future, at least you know, 20 months, probably, there's a Tory uh, government. So, you know, whether it's been the vaccines rollout, whether it's been dealing with the Elizabeth line, whether it's been dealing with uh, how we made sure that Her Majesty got a, a proper uh, funeral, uh, whether it's dealing with counter-terrorism, I have worked closely with the uh, government. And as a responsible mayor of London, that's what I think voters in London would expect me to uh, do. And that was explicitly one of the things that you said when you were coming into your second term, that you wanted to build bridges with um, the Conservative government. Andy, is that something that you know, is at the front of your mind when you're doing your business? When I left Westminster, I created a sort of rule for myself, which is um, I wouldn't do the point scoring because it's a different role. I'm conscious always that people of all persuasions vote for me. Um, I, I, I'm very... Uh, modestly point this out that I won every ward in Greater Manchester in 2021 and that means that people of all parties voted for me and I think because of that you've got to, co you've got to be conscious of how you do the role it's not we're not members of parliament you know we have a different perspective a different role uh, to, to carry out and what I said at the time was if the government gets something right and I think we both do this we will say you've got think you've got that right and we, we appreciate that and they are doing something right around buses outside of London at the moment with the support that we're, we're getting. And, I, and I've said so recently, I said so to the Transport Secretary last, last week. But where they get it wrong, I will call them out. And I don't know, I, I was on any questions on Friday night, I said the, the, one of the first people to respond to the budget, and I said it was immoral and obscene, and I absolutely stand by that. It was, you know, in our part of the world, the benefit of this budget will not be felt here. It won't be felt here at all, to be honest with you. Uh, and so it's, they don't like that bit of it though, they, they then call that point scoring, but it's not. You, you, the way I look at it is you've got to be an absolutely fearless advocate for your place and your people. That's what it is to be a good mayor. And, and it doesn't matter who does it. Sometimes, as you said before, I will point out things that I think the Labour Party doesn't, doesn't do right. Uh, and, you know, that, so I should because you're speaking for the place. Our city region needs not just a Labour government, it needs a a reforming, quite radical Labour government that is going to level up properly. It is going to, you know, put in place, you know, that, that rail infrastructure. You know, we're pleased about the Elizabeth line. We support it. But God, look at the state of the railways here. You know, they just do not function for people on a daily basis. So Labour needs to get more radical, I think, about levelling up. And it needs to embrace really enthusiastically what we are doing in power, changing lives in the city regions. And, and now sort of Say to the voters in the north, they promised you this, as Sadiq was saying. They let you down. They thought they could take you for mugs, and they look at what they've done. And now we're coming back with a proper agenda to level up the north of England. And I think Labour would, has got the opportunity to do that now, and I really hope the party will take it. Okay. 
I did want to ask you this question in relation to your sort of relationship with the central Labour Party leadership. It's a, it's a bit of a weird job being a Labour mayor in England, isn't it? Because you're both kind of in government and in opposition. So, of course, it sometimes takes you to different places from the leadership of the party. And we, Andy, you've made some comments this evening and also sort of in the build-up to conference, you've, you've taken a different line on the basic income tax rate cut. Um, you said you would want to see more, more fight but, from the, from the Labour well, leadership. Well, can I just say on that... Um, I didn't know what the party policy was um, when I was doing an interview on Sunday morning. So I just want people to know that this yeah. isn't about, oh, what can I find a fault with now? I've got to look at the situation as I see it and what I think is, 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 is right. And for me, the priority right now has got to be cost of living and almost nothing else in terms of this winter. And it's particularly public services because we're going into a winter here where nurses have not got a pay settlement that will get them through the winter. Firefighters have not got a pay settlement that will get them through the winter. You know, these are the people we clapped and they haven't got enough money at the moment to make things work. So I, my reaction to the budget was that that tax change in the basic rate, it only comes in in April, so it won't help with the, the dangerous period. That can't be the priority right now, in my view. The priority should be uplifting universal credit particularly for people who are on the lowest incomes because they are the, the most risk from the cost of living crisis and putting in pay settlements across the public sector so that we get a fairness in that so that services can, fun can function. And the bottom line is, if you look at that 20p to 19p, it would give somebody like me 370 uh, pounds or more a year and it would give somebody on um, zero hours or the, or, or the real living wage about 25 pounds a year it's not it actually puts money in the wrong hands to be honest it doesn't give most to those who are most going to need it to actually live and survive through this winter not just sort of have a, a decent life that's how serious this situation is and I just gave you my that was my judgment on what I heard on Friday. And it wasn't an attempt to create a rift with anybody. It was simply my mm -hmm. judgment. Okay. And Sadiq, I'd love to hear your reflections on your different styles as mayor and, and also ask you about the impact of that budget on London. Because, you know, some bankers in the city of London might be quite happy, but perhaps not the rest of the people you represent. <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't want any sympathies, but Andy and I have got really tough jobs being mayors of two, two great cities and uh, regions. So they're tough jobs. But I think Keir Starmer has the toughest job in politics. He's leader of the opposition. It's a tough, tough, hard job. And so what I've tried to do is to, of course, be a champion and an advocate for uh, London. But I will do whatever I can uh, to uh, you know, support Keir, Rachel and the team over the next uh, uh, period, as, as I'm sure Andy will, uh, will as well. Uh, but actually, one of the good things about this team in, in the Shadow Cabinet is they're pointing to Labour values in action by the work Andy's doing or Steve's doing or Tracy's doing or I'm doing or Mark Drakeford in Wells to show the difference Labour winning uh, uh, makes. But of course there are times when uh, the Labour Party nationally isn't doing what we think uh, we would do uh, uh, if, if we were in their position or necessarily benefit uh, our cities and uh, uh, regions. You've got to call them out uh, when they do so. But my view is I'd rather call them out once they've won the election or in government, rather than inadvertently uh, giving the impression of Labour splits. And that's why my style is a bit different. Uh, it's for people to judge whether, whether they, they like my style or, or not. But it's really important, though, uh, to make sure that we recognise, because we are such a centralised democracy, the real prize, 
the real prize is winning the next general election. That for me is the real prize. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Edward Docks on the death of Boris the Clown. When did the booing start? He was never exactly sure. A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. One presenter told me that producers had taken to booking their own parents. May Robson on why women's football is the more beautiful game. Like most of the England squad, the Euro 2022 captain Leah Williamson can't afford not to have a plan B. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads published every Saturday morning. Just search audio long reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We'll go to some questions from the audience now. There will be a mic going round. Yeah, I think there's a hand up there. Uh, thank you all three. Um, Stefan Bosch from City AM Newspaper. Questions for you, Sadiq. Um, you've said with increasing conviction that, you know, you want to run for a third term. Have you started to think about what that sort of a campaign would look like for yourself? And secondly, just to be clear, are you in support of scrapping the banker's bonus cap? So the, the, the second question first, uh, I'm in favour of uh, the government not lifting the cap on bankers' uh, bonus. In answer to your first question, uh, there's 20 months until the next mayoral election. Uh, When I ran to be the mayor, uh, what I talked about was something called the London Promise. The London Promise is something very simple, but it's benefited me and the Khan family. And the way the London Promise works is you work hard, you get a help in hand, and you can achieve anything. Uh, and that's been at the core of what I've done in 2016, uh, since 2016. And I suspect because of the cost of living crisis, because of the challenges we're seeing and that you're writing about on a daily basis, there will still be a need for the help in hand when it comes to May 2024. And it's still very much my intention uh, to run and to win my third term. Great, thank you. <laughs> the person at the back. Hi, thank you very much. Um, on the topic of rewiring power, how does it work with pushing it from yourselves down to the people in your cities? So how are you working with Londoners and the people of Manchester? Uh, it can be easy to, to forget and just talk about 
reforming the House of Lords or PR, but what role do citizens have in rewiring power? Thanks. Great. Thanks. Do you want to take that first, Andy? I think you're asking absolutely the right question. The more bottom-up that you can make the, the, the sort of, if you like, the, the process of making change happen, the more the better it is, the more people are involved in it, and therefore it's better change. So bottom-up change, I think, is better change than change that's imposed top-down, and that's true of it being imposed from a greater Manchester level down. So we've got some really good examples. I think because of the way our system is, you know, we're, we're big enough to matter, but small enough, if you like, to be able to see names, not numbers. And that's the phrase I always use to the Greater Manchester system. Names, not numbers, work from the ground up. Homelessness will be a great example where we've got a homelessness action network that involves a, a huge number of people in different groups across the city region. And they've driven a massive change on our streets where we've hugely reduced the number of people sleeping rough. And it's been really energizing for people and empowering to be involved in it. And we've now got a food security action network, a digital inclusion action network. So we've built that model out and it definitely, definitely works. Uh, so I agree with you. I think, you know, we, we, we don't do two, we do with in Greater Manchester. And I think it's a model that we can, we can keep working at. But yeah, it's not just that we've devolved power there and that's it. Honestly, we've taken it and we've tried to build a new way of doing politics. And I think it, 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 you're beginning to see the results of it. And um, I think it's absolutely the way, the way to go. So, so I, th by the way, I think your question is profound, actually. It's probably the ones, one, one of the most important issues facing our society and our countries. How do you turn consumers into citizens and then into active citizens? Uh, the reason why many people feel like a consumer is they don't know where the levers are. Uh, but also the way they've been brought up, not realising the power they have. And I think it's got to start in school, educating children about the levers, about being a citizen, whether it's petitions, whether it's standing for parliament, joining a political party, assemblies, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. But also it's recognising the levers there are. I'll give you an example of the difference we made in uh, London by not just relying upon the current structures, 32 brilliant boroughs, councillors and so forth. It's in relation to air quality. By listening to citizens in London, we realise there's a big issue in relation to toxic air in London. The government, though, refused to give us any support to fix the toxic air in London. More than 4,000 Londoners every year die prematurely from toxic air, problem in all, great, all the cities across our uh, country. So in the absence of support from the government, because in particular I met a mum called Rosamond uh, uh, Ella Kissa Deborah, whose nine-year-old daughter, uh, Ella, died as a consequence of toxic air after a, 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 an asthma attack in Lewisham. We now have uh, the ultra-low emission zone, some of the boldest policies to uh, reduce toxic air. And in six years, we've reduced the toxic air by more than a half in our city, not through the work of the current structures of councils or the government, but listening to citizens and having bold, world-class policies, but also working with experts that are trusted, clinicians, uh, those who work in NGOs, uh, community groups, mums for lungs, uh, young people choked up, uh, understanding what, what citizens uh, want. But the first part of the story is political education. Uh, and we used health experts in the first year of me being mayor to educate London, Londoners about this invisible killer, particulate matter, uh, nitrogen dioxide. So we're not going to turn consumers into active citizens without that, that bridge 
of political education. It was Harold Wilson, I think, who said, the best politician is a teacher. And that's why it's really important. We empower our citizens by political education and by giving them powers and levers to affect decision making. Thank you. Uh, hello, I'm Devon. I'm the Director of Policy and Practice. I wanted to ask a question about the cost of living and the role between the centre and the local response. Uh, we're working with the Mayor of London's team on, on the cost of living response through the cost of living hub. And, but I think it's a really apt example of one whereby we're having to respond locally because of the lack of central action. In actual fact, you don't really want, that's an area you don't want localised because actually if some of the initiatives that the Mayor of London's putting in place were applied nationally, automating take-up of pension credit, a whole bunch of other work to help people access the support they could get, the citizens of Manchester, the citizens of, uh, of Bristol, other people would be benefiting from it. So I, I guess it's a question around how do you, uh, do you see that central role of, of, of Whitehall, of central government being actually a really big part of what and taking away, from, where, where do you see the centre taking away from local responsibilities if it takes its role seriously? Uh, a good example is planning, right? There are some things that are strategic uh, and that, that obviously can't be too, uh, you know, localised. You've got council planning, but also, you know, Pan London or the Greater Manchester uh, area, really relevant when it comes to big developments, when it comes to big issues, infrastructure, another big example. And that's one of the, the conversations that Andy and I are having with the Shadow Cabinet team. How do we rewire decision-making so we're po possible and relevant done nearest to people affected by decisions and we're relevant and appropriate done at a uh, higher-up uh, scale? And that's why it's really important to look at other, other countries. Look, Germany, when, uh, when East Germany uh, became uh, part of uh, West Germany to become Germany, they invested something like two trillion euros in levelling up the East, right? But also they devolved powers and resources to East Germany to make sure there was better decision making. You compare and contrast that with the levelling up money spent in our country and the lack of devolution down. So I think we've got to, you know, Gordon's doing, Gordon Brown's doing some really exciting work in relation to uh, a Senate of the, the, the nations and the regions. And part of that work is answering the question, the really important question you've answered about how we make sure we get it right. Uh, and Germany's got a really good system. Uh, America's, got a, America's got a pretty decent system. Uh, we've got a poor system. But just in the city region context, it's our job to, to fund the scheme. So a bed every night is our homelessness scheme. So we set that at a GM level, we fund it, but then it's delivered by local organisations and they all do it slightly differently in the different boroughs and that's great. You know, we have no problem with that. Uh, so it's, it's about the centre sets the what do we want, we want somewhere for everyone to go every night, but then you allow, you, know, you allow it to be done slightly differently in, in different places, and it is, and that's absolutely fine, but that was the model I was describing before. You can make this work um, if you just, the centre sets the right framework and sets a clear ambition for what we're trying to do, and then you, you loosen up, you don't... The centre goes wrong, and bear in mind, I think this happened in the government that I was in, it tries to both set the framework and then do the medal in the delivery and that's what you shouldn't do that's where it goes wrong I think you should set the framework and then trust people to get on and do what you're asking them to do thank you I think we have time for three more questions um there was one at the front there I remember you put your hand up and um yes so my question was COVID has been maybe an opportunity to learn a lot and especially with regards to the children and its impact on them so what I wanted to ask you was with regards to children's mental health and their voice being heard in your systems and your processes, how do you achieve that? 
I'm aware of the mayor's the link-up crew. Forgive me if I may not be aware of what's happening in Manchester, but how do you incorporate children's voices, particularly in relation to mental health? Thank you. That was a question about um, incorporating children's mental health into your work. So, I, I mean, I'm sure Sadiq will want to jump in with, with the London example, but in our case, we're doing something quite groundbreaking um, in terms of a survey that we've initiated of our uh, year 10s, so our 14 and 15-year-olds. It began as something called our Life Readiness Survey, which is kind of intriguing, really, because it was asking really quite profound questions. Do you have hope for the future? And honestly, I can only tell you that this... This survey was quite hard to read at times when you see the answers to that question coming back. But we've broadened it now with the help of the University of Manchester. We've created something called Be Well, which is the same cohort, year 10s, but it's a survey that's much more broadly asking them, yes, about do they have hope and are they, you know, do they have aspirations for what they can achieve? But it's actually asking a lot of questions around uh, their, their well-being and their mental health. And these results are then given back to the schools. You know, it's a really quite, uh, quite groundbreaking initiative. And that is at the heart of our decision making. You know, we've got a kind of clear picture of what our teenagers are thinking and feeling. And that, I don't think, is being done everywhere. And we're, we're quite proud of it. I said when I came in as mayor, young people would be our priority for investment, not our target for cuts. And, you know, we followed the example in London. You know, we've given our teenagers a free... Uh, bus pass, uh, 16 to 18 year olds, it's free up to 21 for young people who've been in care. You know, we, we, we take this really seriously in terms of support for young people. We've got a lot of digital mental health services for them. Uh, but I absolutely agree with you, the voice of young people needs to be, the, the real voice of young people uh, needs to be at the heart of, of decision making and that's how we've sought to do it. Also with our youth combined authority which we've also created. Thank you. Sadiq? I'll keep it short because I know I time, is, time is short, but I think what the pandemic did is it both exposed and exacerbated some of the structural inequalities that exist in our society, whether it's racial or, or rather inequalities. Uh, so what we're doing in uh, uh, London is not, not just doing the stuff that we're required to do by law. Uh, like Andy, we're going above and beyond. Uh, we're using our convening power. Uh, and so it's a simple thing. You, you'll have heard Rachel's announcement today in relation to using the monies that come in from reversing the tax cut for the top uh, to give access to mental health uh, within weeks of going to a GP. The, the backlog for the CAMs is just obscene. So what we're doing in our schools is, when Andy and I were, were going to school uh, in a different uh, century, uh, <laughs> we, had, we had matrons. Remember matrons in secondary school? Well, we're trying to get them back in relation to a health worker in a school to support young people before they need to go to a GP and are referred to CAMS, but also uh, giving young people the skills and the tools to be more resilient. Uh, uh, the same called adverse childhood experiences. Uh, and so we're using a public health approach in London to support our uh, young people because I'm really conscious of the challenges they have. I think it's never been more difficult to be a young person than in 2022. Uh, I mean, the number of young people who are going hungry uh, because of issues around cost of living crisis, the number of young people eligible to free school meals uh, not uh, getting. I remember the stigma uh, as, a, as, a, as a school child queuing up for my free school meals uh, token. I remember the hassle my dad went through to fill in the forms to be eligible for free school meals. So one of the things that I'm calling on uh, the Labour Party to do in advance of the next general election is say if we win the general election, we will have universal free school meals for primary school kids.
Okay. And we have two more questions to get through, but very quick answers, I think. You, sir. Yeah. Um, we've heard about the vision of levelling up to uh, raise Manchester and Liverpool up to the standards of London. Would that vision also include the raising of the Blackburn, Stoke-on-Trents and Hartlepools of the country up to the level of Manchester and Liverpool? <laughs> Good question. Oh, well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I want everywhere to have what Greater Manchester has got. You know, I'm not, we're not doing this in a competitive sense. You know, we would want everywhere to have the same opportunity to do more for themselves. But also, we all need that critical infrastructure, don't we, that would, you know, the crossrail for the north is what we need alongside the crossrail that we now have in, in London. So with, without that, I don't see how we can bring the north together, um, connect it more to the Midlands. Northern powerhouse rail in full. We've got to hold this prime minister to the promise that she, that she made. And let's be clear what that means. It means a brand new line from here through Manchester Airport, through Manchester Piccadilly with a new underground station there to Bradford <laughs> and then to Leeds and then it goes beyond to Hull and it goes up to Newcastle and has a branch to Sheffield. That's what it means. And we need now to hold the Prime Minister and the, her government to account but also I think Louise Hayes had a brilliant thing today by talking about bringing railways back into public control. It's great that the Labour Party is committed to that. That is a, a fantastic start. Let's have railways under public control and a commitment from the party to build Northern, Northern Powerhouse Rail absolutely in full, as I've just described, across, across the country. Then we can all start to feel that levelling up is happening. And then the divides between the different places will start to sort of fall away and everyone will feel that their area is on the up. And that's what Labour now should really be, you know, talking to. And I think we will. But also hold the... For as long as they're left in office, and I don't think it's going to be long, but for as long as they are in office, <laughs> hold them to account for saying that they would, uh, would fulfil that commitment. I agree with Andy. <laughs> Hi, yeah. Um, the, the country has a hidden drugs crisis. 6,000 people a year die from drugs at a cost of £22 billion a year to the economy. Sadiq's been one of the boldest, most positive voices on this, setting up a London Drugs Commission, backing progressive drug reform. Um, Andy, I, I wonder what your thoughts were on that. Um, you know, you've probably both seen in your cities the damage that prohibition and criminalisation cause. Uh, and Andy, you've been a sort of uh, Minister for Health, both in and out of government. Don't you both think it's time to see a health-based approach to drugs, uh, including to, but not limited to, uh, the legalisation of cannabis like countries um, like Germany, Canada, Malta and Mexico are doing? Uh, as we've been saying tonight, you know, we all have our sort of, sort of views on things and sometimes diverge from party policy. On this one, I think I'm more in tune with party, <laughs> party policy. I don't think we would want to see if I'm honest, that type of change at this, at this moment in, in time, I think it would be a, a hard sell to, to people uh, here. Um, I'm always open-minded and I'd be prepared to see the evidence. Well, you say that, but you know, my, my wife is Dutch. I've spent a lot of time in Holland over the years. I, I don't personally think that it has made Holland less, I don't see less crime, if you like, in terms of Amsterdam and, and all of that. I, I don't know. I don't think it, it, you know, I think the jury, I would say, is still a bit out on that. I'm not against other things being tried, but I'm not personally going to propose that uh, in Greater Manchester. I think, you know, people want to see um, a kind of an approach uh, to, to this that is, I'm not, it's not about criminalising use, but I think what it is about is 
kind of getting hard after the people who cause misery. We had spice on our streets a couple of years ago alongside a homelessness crisis. And my God, it caused a whole load of misery. And I wanted Greater Manchester Police to get after those people who were doing that and who were dealing that on our, on our streets. And, you know, I, and I, I don't know. I mean, I just think, you know, maybe there's a different perspective on it from, from here. But I, that wouldn't be a change that I would be proposing at this, at this moment in time. Look, one of the things that I've learned over the last six and a half years is sometimes you uh, provide fellowship, fellowship when it comes to public opinion, sometimes you've got to provide leadership. Uh, and speaking as a former lawyer that used to look at the evidence, my point is what is wrong with having a commission that looks at the evidence? And so this commission is not being led by uh, a loony left-wing person, You've got Lord Charlie Faulkner leading this uh, commission uh, with a cross-section of health experts, people from the community, uh, people from uh, academia, people from policing, to look at the evidence. They will go away and look at the evidence, and I've got an open mind in relation to this uh, issue, and they will see what they come back with in their commission. But in addition to the health issues you talk about, I meet uh, on a weekly basis young black Londoners who have a criminal record because of possession of cannabis, and that criminal record uh, affects them for their entire life. I meet experts who tell me the consequences of dangerous skunk being sold in an unregulated market and the psychosis that brings I'm somebody, though, who's always thought uh, this is a a floodgate that could open up and a gateway drug. So I've been hesitant in relation to this, but I've got a genuine open mind. And so I'm going to look at what the commission comes back with, follow the evidence, uh, and then decide what to do going forward. And if it means going against public opinion, like I did with air quality and the world's first ultra-low emission zone, reducing toxic air by half, uh, leading to fewer premature deaths, taken on the government and vested interest. If it means that, I'll do it. And I, can I just say, I think that's the strength of these, of these roles, actually. I mean, Sadiq's just articulated it very clearly because these roles do allow us just to, in some ways, not always be kind of in that sort of system where you've got the, you know, the, the line to take. And this. So I think that's the strength of our roles. And I think they're, they're adding something to politics in this country and that they can you know at times we can take an issue and become a bit of a laboratory for whether or not that issue can be looked at differently and then inform national policy as a result so I kind of feel you know we're still in early days aren't we of building out regional devolution in England and I think the centre still struggles sometimes to understand what we're saying and how, why we're com- coming at things the way that we are but I think this is built this is bringing I would say a greater maturity to British politics because it allows a difference and a, and a kind of, you know, you know we would have a, I say we've had, we would have a different perspective. I think the worry would be that there's an ambivalent signal sent and that, that, that would be our concern. However, London is a different place and I don't think, you know, we don't, we mustn't get into the position where everyone has, because if you, if you do, that's the, that's not the point of devolution. The point of devolution is do things differently. Try something different that's right for you and right for your area and right for the people who live there. And I think we've got to kind of learn really to understand what we've got here with what's happening and then extract the full benefit from it and, and then use the evidence that comes from uh, what's happening on homelessness in Greater Manchester or uh, the review in London 
and then use it then to inform a more mature political debate at the national level. Okay, well, uh, we started a bit late, so I think we can go over a couple of minutes. I want to give you each a chance to do some closing remarks, because we've spoken about so much this evening, and I wonder if there's anything you haven't managed to say, but you'd like to say. So, no, Sadiq all, first. All, all I was going to begin with is an apology to, to, to Andy, uh, which is uh, I had the privilege of, uh, as the Mayor of London, uh, attending Her Majesty's uh, funeral. Uh, and uh, at the funeral, there was uh, the uh, Prince of Monaco. Uh, there was the Queen of... Denmark. Uh, I should have lobbied for uh, having there uh, the King of the North. Uh, <laughs> uh, and my, 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 my promise to, to, to Andy is if I get the opportunity to lobby, not for funerals, <laughs> but at events where there, are, where, there, where, there, where, there, where there are royalty present, I'll make sure I lobby for the King of the North to be there. <laughs> Andy? Uh, I, um, I don't know what to say to that. Um, I, I suppose my kind of my reflection is I, I tried for 16 years in the Westminster system to make it listen properly to the voice of the North, and it, and it, and it doesn't, and it is not capable of doing it in its current form. So I decided with Steve to take a step outside and to come and do what we're, what we're doing now. And I think wherever you look at the progress we've made or not made, I think the North is kind of being heard a bit more. Its presence is stronger in the national uh, political debate. And some people don't like that, but it's here to stay. And I think what we need to understand now is what, what comes from that. You know, the recognition of our voice and what we're saying, what we've not had yet, is the answers then to say, OK, well, we understand why you're saying that. And I think that's the next phase that we've got to go into. You know, the, life here is different. It needs to be recognised that it's different. People here can't be second-class citizens as the people of Liverpool were treated for 20 years. People, needs, people need to reflect more on that than has been reflected upon. How did that happen? You know, with all respect, if London had cried injustice for 20 years, it would have been heard. But Liverpool wasn't heard for all of that time. And that should trouble all of us who live in this country. It's not, at times, a country of equals. And now we're making our voice more heard, but people need to sort of hear that and not hear it as a threat. They need to hear it. Right, well, let's, let's respond to what they're saying, and then we will get a more equitable country that will work better, it will feel better, it will be a more equal place. That's what we're building. And I think we're at a sort of work-in-progress stage of it, but I think it's not going to go back. The genie's not going to go back in the bottle. I think we now need to sort of, you know, take what we've done, what we've built so far, but now turn it into a unifying agenda where it's not just unifying for us here in the North, but it's unifying ourselves with London, common cause, building lives that are better for people uh, in all of our cities and all of our regions. So that's my, my closing thought. I think that's where we, where, where we are. I think the world needs to get used to the North of England having a much, much louder political voice because it's only going to get louder still. Thank you so much, Andy Burnham and Sadiq Khan. That was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much to our audience and for your brilliant questions as well. Thank you. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, Andy Burnham and Sadiq Khan. This episode was produced by May Robson and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe, rate us and leave us a nice review. 